proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the Reformed Confessions of the Faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The Confessional Collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the Kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. My name is Chris Santola, and I am here with my co-hosts Aaron Carr and Zach Fisher. What's going on, fellas? Hey, man, what's going on? Doing pretty Living good. the dream. Uh, <laughs> Living the dream in Southern California. Not us, just you. Just me? You're not living the dream? We don't live in dream world. We live in reality. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Our feet are firmly planted on the ground. You let them open up and then you just like shot them out of the sky just now. <laughs> so everybody have a good Easter? Yeah, it was pretty busy. We, we had like three different stops, and so that's like three different full meals. So I had to be like wheeled home through the front door, squeezed in there. Sure. But it was good. I've noticed that, that one of the justifications for trying to keep families intact is so you don't have to go visit more extended family. Yeah. <laughs> the, the more divorces and separations, the more, the more families you have to go visit, and it gets, it gets kind of crazy. That so, is very true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How yeah, was we had- Go ahead. Oh, we had a good Easter out here, uh, kind of just a great morning at church, and uh, services went well, and then got together with the family and uh, just shared a meal, and uh, it was kind of a uh, just a, a good time just getting together and uh, remembering the resurrection of the Lord. So services were well, went well? Yeah, yeah, I would think everything went really well. I mean, obviously, Easter Sunday, you know, you uh, you get a lot of extra people coming in and uh, either coming back to church or coming and checking out church for the first time. And so, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty uh, big morning. What about you guys? Was it a, was it a big bump for you as well? Oh, it's, it's always a big bump. Uh, you know, and then you get some people that are always uh, a little angry. <laughs> <laughs> You're in my seat, you know, that kind of junk, but no, it's uh, we had, we had kind of an eventful Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday. Uh, somebody passed out in the middle of our Easter service and, um, we're trying to figure out if it's because the preaching was so awesome they passed out or if it was because it's so terrible. They I was going to say, you're going full Jonathan Edwards on them out there, man. Yeah, you got people right. fainting in service. That's exactly <laughs> right, man. Movement of the Holy Spirit. There was emotion in a Presbyterian service. <laughs> there was. There was. <laughs> Believe it or not. Believe it or not. We had like Those a, religious affections. Yeah. We had like a solid probably... Well, we had five different people get up and read scripture like in a row, like right before the... I don't know if it was either right before the sermon or right before a couple of the songs. King James only? No. <laughs> I read from the ESV. So there was actually a girl that did read from the King James, and she's actually younger than me. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so it was probably like a solid 15 minutes of like scripture reading, which I thought was awesome. So that was like, for me, that was the highlight of the service. And then I, I could only stay like halfway through the uh, sermon because my son started throwing a fit, so I had to take him out. This is probably a good time to bring up that discussion about uh, what do you guys think about the church calendar? You know, some, some churches are definitely against it, and people make too big a deal about Easter Sunday, and every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And I get that, and I definitely appreciate that. And in fact, we said that in our Sunday service mm-hmm. that 
you know, th- that uh, every Sunday for the believer is Resurrection Sunday. But I think there is uh, something that, what of a blessing in preaching through a calendar. Um, we do both. Um, we obviously celebrate uh, Christmas every year, and we'll do a little Advent series. And we also focus on Christmas or Easter, and uh, we'll do a Monday, thir- Thursday service, a Good Friday service, and then uh, Easter service. And what I've noticed is that I'll, that always guarantees, no matter where I'm at in the scriptures, we're going to hit on the incarnation, the atonement, and the resurrection. Of course, those things are brought out regularly. Um, but what are your guys' thoughts on uh, church calendar stuff? I think the biggest problem happens when uh, people will look at something like that, and then if it's like a random holiday, it's kind of connected to the church calendar, but if it's like a holiday, people will say, well, since it's a holiday, like I'll just spend it with my family since like church or since Sunday like falls on Easter or whatever, like it should be the other way around, you know, like if the holiday falls on a, on the Lord's day, then the Lord's day should take precedence, obviously like the, the regular meeting of believers. And that happened with Christmas this past year right. as well. But right. yeah. yeah, same same thing with Easter. I think as long as you're not bumping the Lord's day aside for something that's like extra biblical, yeah. then I think you're probably okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't have an issue with it. I know amongst the, the reformed, you know, there's various views and uh, some pretty passionate feelings about the church calendar and whether there should be a church calendar. Uh, you know, it's never been a, a huge issue for me. I mean, really, when it comes to times like Easter or Christmas, I look at it like, well, we're going to get a whole lot of people coming in here who usually wouldn't be coming in here. So let's take this time time to uh, to show them what we are talking about <laughs> for the rest of the year yeah. in a very concentrated sort of uh, form. But uh, I know what you mean, though, too, Zach, about, you know, sometimes people are like, well, you know, it's a holiday. And uh, my friend actually told me that his son, uh, he and his son went on Good Friday to service. And then uh, his son said on Saturday, are we going back to church again tomorrow? <laughs> he goes, well, what's the problem? And he says, his son tells him, well, you know, we go again on Sunday. It's like it's taken up the whole weekend. <laughs> and he said to his son, yeah, it took up Isn't the whole great? weekend for Jesus, too, <laughs> when he died on the cross for your sin. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Jesus juke. He Jesus juke Oh, yeah. Hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting to me, though, as you kind of look at this, this, this debate, because I, I understand some people say, you know, Every so, some of these people who only come for Christmas and Easter, your Christer people, when they come, all they're ever hearing is the same, the same old uh, uh, messages. You yeah, know? they're hearing the resurrection story. They're hearing the the birth of Jesus. Those are important doctrines right. for the church. Right. Praise God, they're hearing it. Hopefully, the pastor is taking it and giving the gospel. Yeah, you know, in its entirety through that, not just stopping and saying, "Oh, isn't it great a baby was born?" or isn't it great that he resurrected? Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's a both and. It's not an either or. And yeah. I know some people have difference of opinion on that. But uh, and there's there's valid arguments. I mean, um, on on why we need to be making sure we're preaching the text and not just worrying about uh, a church calendar. But right. there is a blessing to right. your calendar as well. Mm-hmm. So, but we got other stuff to be talking about besides all that. We do. Oh yeah. What are we getting into today, fellas? Justification, right? Justification. So that's uh, a pretty big topic. We want to make sure that we cover it fairly uh, thoroughly. 
although it's impossible to cover that in like one episode of a podcast every avenue, but we want to hit the main important things. And so for me and Aaron, it's going to be real easy because our, our confessions are really, really similar. One of us actually uh, modeled the other confession after the other person's. I'm not sure. I think you say that every week. <laughs> I'm, starting to, I'm starting to see a routine here. I do that. I do that knowing. And I just want everybody to know mine came out in 1646, where his is 1689. So I'm just saying, if you're wondering who followed who. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Anyway, um, so yeah, if if we just jump right in, I'll just read. uh, It's chapter 11 of the 1689 in the Westminster and section one, just to get right into it. So it says, Those whom God effectually calleth, he also freely justifieth, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing Christ's active obedience unto the whole law and passive obedience in his death for their whole and sole righteousness, they receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it is the gift of God. And so that's just the first section. There's a lot in there. I think we're done now, right? Yep, we can go home. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, so I think a couple of the things that we should talk about right away um, towards the beginning there, it, it makes a distinction between in infusing righteousness and imputing righteousness. And the reform perspective is that we believe in imputed righteousness. So I don't know if one of you guys wants to kind of define the difference between imputed and infused. Maybe, Chris, you can give us a, a, a brief rundown or a super long rundown since I know the Belgic is pretty long winded at times. Yeah, I think, you know, as we're talking about the difference between imputed and infused righteousness, we're kind of getting into the, the issue of, uh, some of the differences between a Roman Catholic doctrine and, uh, and what we believe as Protestant reformed believers. But, uh, what we want to focus on is going to be that Christ's righteousness is an alien righteousness to us, that it is a righteousness that comes from outside of us and is counted as our own righteousness. Uh, the term in Greek that's used for that in Scripture, logizomai, uh, speaks of—it's a banking term that uh, references when money is placed into someone's account uh, from, you know, from the outside, as it were, uh, it is being imputed to them or counted to them. And so when we talk about imp- the imputation of Christ's righteousness, we're talking about a righteousness that is not our own, but is counted to us as our own. So what do you guys see as some of the, the key distinctions when we're talking about justification? I think uh, when I when I hear people talking about justification, um, one of the things that I see people often leaving out in like your your modern day evangelical circles is everyone seems to know that okay I'm justified I'm righteous because Christ took my sins upon himself and we would wholeheartedly agree with that but we would say that's really only half of the equation and that's what's referred to as his passive obedience which the sec- first section in chapter 11 of our confessions say that but that only being half of it so if, if our sins are merely removed that makes us neutral I guess but there isn't really any real righteousness imputed to us. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we don't have any guilt at that point, but we don't have any positive righteousness to qualify us to be one of God's children. So that's where the other half comes in, which would be the active obedience of Christ. And that's the, that's the part that I see in my, in my circle um, often 
ignored or forgotten. It's not, I shouldn't say ignored because that sounds bad, but I think people just don't think about that because they think of Christ forgiving sins, we're justified. Okay, but what about your righteousness? Like, where do you get that from? And like you pointed out, Chris, it's an alien righteousness, it's a foreign righteousness. And so that doesn't come from within us, like the Roman Catholic view. It's not infused within us, giving us the ability to be righteous, but it's actually imputed, and that comes from Christ's act of obedience right. to the law. And so I think that, a great example of, of to kind of bring some clarity to that is, is if you've got your bank account, and to use that example, mm-hmm. as I mentioned earlier, you've got your bank account. Let's say you have a negative balance. You know, you're negative so many millions of dollars. Well, somebody comes along and forgives the debt. Well, in forgiving the debt, it brings your account up to zero, like you just mentioned a minute ago. Yeah. But you still don't have a positive balance in your account. And so that's where the active obedience of Christ comes in and the uh, the imputation, uh, imputation of his righteousness to us, therefore giving a positive account, a uh, balance of righteousness in our account. And it really does get down to answering some major questions. I think it was Anselm who asked the question, you know, why the God-man? We understand why the death of Christ, but why the life of Christ? Why, why wouldn't Christ just appear in the world uh, as a full-grown man, die for our sins, and that be it? And the answer, at least a major part of the answer, is that he lived for our righteousness, that his righteousness could be counted to us. That question was actually posed in a little bit of a different way in, in one of my—it uh, was like a Bible study I was in a few years ago. It was when I was in the college-age class, and there was a different person leading it at that time. And he asked the class, now what would happen if Christ, like you just said, appeared and died? Would we, would that be enough to save us? And you have to be real careful how you answer that because your knee-jerk is, well, yeah, obviously he's God. But he has to, he has to obey the law every jot and tittle. He has to fulfill all that. Um, in order to actually give us any real righteousness. And so, yeah, right. I, I think that's one of the things we oftentimes just skim right over. And I think you guys are doing a good job uh, pulling that out. And um, when you look at the act of obedience of Christ and in, in, in the fact that for 33 and a half years, he lived a sinless life. Yes, he, he was not born with original sin. Uh, that's that's the, the beauty of 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 the virgin birth and and the miraculous uh uh mystery that is there contained but he had no actual sin he never gave in and one of the great examples of that is in in the uh the temptation of christ right and the enemy comes at him and he gives him all these different angles of trying to get him to stumble but it wasn't just like jesus was tempted then and not not had to to uh, be in perfect obedience the rest of the time. He never sinned in any way, and um, it, it just it, it 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 blows me away. In fact, I was watching Ben Hur the other night. Okay, I don't know if you guys Ben Hur is like one of the greatest uh, old old te- you know movies of uh, in that in that example. And I know like everybody's freaking out right now because of Second Commandment issues, uh, but um, <laughs> they don't show his face though. They, they don't, don't show his face in there. <laughs> so and I, I think that's one of the reasons why it's like a little bit safer. And it's really not a it's not a story necessarily uh, you know about where they're following Christ image everywhere. But it's interesting. There's this moment in this story at the very beginning where one of the men uh, sees the Roman soldiers entering the town, and he goes over to talk to Joseph for a minute, right? And he says to Joseph, where 
where's your son? Why is he not helping you? Why is he basically, why is he out hanging out? Why is he not, why is he not doing his father's business? And Joseph looks and says, ah, I learned a long time ago. He's, he is truly about his father's business. But the thing we have to remember with that is Jesus had to be a good worker. Jesus mm-hmm. had to be a good student. And I'm not talking about A's. I'm talking about he wasn't lazy. Right. Because in any way that he did not live up to uh, the standard of righteousness, therefore it was sin. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying, again, I'm saying he got straight A's. That's a whole other issue. Um, but, but the point being that he had to know what it was like to be human, to struggle, to get thirsty, to get tired. But he also needed to be, he wasn't, wasn't lazy. He, 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 wasn't, he wasn't a procrastinator. These are things that are, lead to sinfulness. This was not his character. And so I just found that in that movie. It's like, ugh. You know, yeah. don't, you know, the way they <laughs> said it, and it's like they're kind of coming at him like, oh, no, he, it's okay for him not to be about his father's business. But he would have been a good worker. He would have been, in his act of obedience is what is attributed to us, his fulfillment of the law right. and its perfection. Um, one of the passages of scriptures I would throw in at this point is from Zechariah chapter 3. And you guys are probably familiar with it, but I'm going to read it anyway. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and sta- Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan, and the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And he said, Let them put on a clean turban upon his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. And as the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord God of hosts, You shall walk in my ways and keep my charge. Then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Mm-hmm. It's that it's, it, we don't, we fail, but Christ's, Christ's righteous um, obedience is that for us. Yeah. And so when we stand before God, we're, we're, we're not just, not just our past sins are washed away, but his act of obedience is what is attributed to our account. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just a beautiful picture of the, of the work and the description of what justification is. I think one of the great things with this that we see is that the gospel is far bigger than it sometimes gets presented. That uh, when we talk about being justified, people will say, well, we're, we are justified by faith alone. Well, what does that mean? That, that means so much more than just we're forgiven of our sin. But uh, there is a positive aspect to that as well of not just are we forgiven of our sin, but there is that imputation of the righteousness of Christ that is the other side of that. And I think this is a, a great, great stuff to to get into when we're just trying to help people understand the nature of the gospel, the, the work of Christ, and see that there is more to it than simply the forgiveness of sin, and that when they then go to their Bibles and they look at the life of Christ, they're going to be able to, to make sense of some of that a little bit more of why Jesus is doing what he's doing, and why did he have to live a perfect life? 
Um, one of the interesting things about this is that we are declared to be righteous through faith. Uh, there is a declaration of our righteousness, which I, I think is another important aspect of that to touch on, that uh, when we talk about being justified, that there is a declarative sense in which God declares us righteous. Yet at the same time, we're still sinful. Right. Which is where Luther talks about uh, simultaneously sinner and just. And I think that's an important thing for us to kind of get into as well. I think one of the issues along with that when it comes to the Reformation, and you said it before, or you said it just a, a few seconds ago when you were talking, and you talked about justification by faith alone. The word alone is huge, um, especially because we're talking about the Reformation, and that was the very issue, because Rome affirms justification by faith. But th they leave out the word alone, and that makes all the difference, and that's, that's a gospel issue. Um, and so when you think of people today that are championing um, like the mere Christianity movement, a lot, uh, largely, you know, that movement is uh, different denominations, different faiths kind of organized around the historic creeds of the church, which, which affirm important things, Trinitarian theology, a lot of historic um, things like that. But uh, if, I think you need more than just the bare essentials because a lot of those things don't really address the nature of the gospel. And if, if, if Rome can say that justification by faith, yeah, nobody, no, no, uh, well-studied or well-learned Roman Catholic uh, will reject justification by faith, but the word alone is what makes a difference. That's what I think the uh, ET, ECT document was about, the evangelical and Catholics together. It was some of these people coming and saying, look, we, we were able to, we're evangelicals and we could sit down with the Catholics and we all agree that justification is important. And, 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 the, you know, and good other men were like, no, we're not all saying the same thing. There's a very different meaning here when it comes down to this issue of justification. And it's an alien righteousness. It's not infused righteousness. And, and, and we understand there's active obedience of Christ. And it's, it's not solely just the passive obedience. And there's absolute assurance that you can have that you have uh, been declared righteous. And therefore, you are in good standing. So all of these things matter. Um, one of the ways theologians often talk about it is the great exchange. And you see that in the Zechariah 3 um, passage that I read just a few minutes ago, where the priest is coming filthy clothed, and yet filthy clothes is taken from him and placed upon Christ, and Christ gives him his righteous robes to wear. And that is an important understanding of the fact that I can know that I have been declared righteous. And that is the beauty of this doctrine, and to just just to you know, uh, tweak it just a little bit, and you end up way off course into something that our confessions do not stand for. That the Westminster is not saying that the 1689 is not saying that the Belgic Confession is not saying, and it becomes very very dangerous. And that's what's really sad. Like you just said, uh, you can you can have assurance that you have been justified because of the active and passive obedience of Christ. And one of the sad things I encountered one time was uh, outside of an abortion clinic. I was there, and there were some people from my church and another Protestant church there and a lot of Roman Catholics there. And there was a Roman Catholic gentleman that I approached, and I, I went up to him asking him about Romans 4, essentially. I talked to him for a while, probably like an hour. Uh, but Romans 4 was kind of where we were camping out, 
And what I and I read to him uh, Romans four verses seven and eight, which is Paul quoting David, and he says, "Blessed are those whom whose lawless deeds are forgiven, um, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin." And I asked him if he had any kind of guarantee or assurance that that would be him. Are you a man who the Lord will not impute his sin? He said, "I don't know." And so that's what's really sad. Um, and so that's when we see things like the mere Christianity movement. Um, you know, people like to rally around the Apostles' Creed, but that doesn't get to the theological issues of the gospel. That's a very good thing to be united in, but I think I don't think it's sufficient to really say, "Well, this is a brother or a sister," because if you if 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 us three and the rest of the Protestants are saying, "Hey, we have a guarantee of salvation. We are guaranteed justified because of what Christ did," and then the Roman Catholics are saying, "Well, I have no idea," you know. What you're saying is so true because that's why doctrine is progressive. Yeah. The confessions right. were progressive. You know, the, the, it wasn't enough just to have the Apostles' Creed. There needed to be more because of heresies right. that began to come up. And so those things had to be explained and dealt with. And I think we have to keep that in mind that the progressive nature of doctrine is important. And it, you're, you're saying that well. Yeah, this is a doctrine that's very close to the heart of the cross, uh, it is one of those ones that is very essential to salvation and what Christ has done for us. And it's something that we need to be teaching. It is something that Christians need to take the time to learn and understand, because it really is such a big foundational doctrine to our faith. Have you guys ever heard people bring up uh, James 2 as a, as a rebuttal to when we say that we're justified by faith alone? They'll bring up James 2, and they'll say things. Uh, I don't have it highlighted, but give me a second. Um, well, one of the verses that they'll bring up is James 2, 17. Uh, actually, let's start in 16. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled. This is talking about someone approaches you um, with a, with a physical need, right? Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works, which I think that's actually the answer that we would would clarify (laughs) right there. Um, but I've heard that used from smart, uh, brilliant Roman Catholic theologians, they'll go to James chapter two and they'll and they'll quote passages like that and say, "Hey, it's not faith alone." Well, it's that's why Luther had issues with it, right? Yeah, it, it, it he was trying to make it square with his understanding of the fact that we are justified by faith alone. In fact, the Westminster Confession says in the second section and under chapter eleven, faith thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness is the alone instrument of justification. Right. And so clearly we are saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. Right. Right. There is always fruit and scripture everywhere teaches there is going to be fruit. Um, Good trees produce good fruit. And again, that's the act of obedience of Christ in us. Well, that's exactly what James is getting at is if you really have that saving faith, a genuine real faith in Christ, it's going to be manifest in your actions and then the things that you do and how you live. I think uh, for, further down in James is actually the, the big one that people try to, that uh, Rome will try to throw at us sometimes, and it's um, starting in verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, which for me, that's like a win on our part right there. Um, but then it says, and he was called a friend of God, 
you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So that's where they'll go. And they say the only time scripture talks about faith alone is when it says you're not justified by faith alone. But we would take the whole context there and, and show that it's speaking of a genuine faith or a dead faith. And a genuine faith is accompanied by works, but that doesn't merit the justification. Is that, right. is that how you guys would try to clarify Absolutely. that? Absolutely, because if you start meriting it, then it's, it is infused. Right. <laughs> and, that, and now we have this polluted water, and, and Jesus is pouring in his perfect righteous water. I wouldn't want to drink it. It's nope. still polluted. <laughs> right, right. Because it's polluted by me. And, and that's the beauty of a, a total alien righteousness. And, and that's what we have to keep in mind. And um, one of the things I was, I was just reading here in the Westminster in uh, section three, Christ by his obedience and death did fully discharge the debt of all those that are justified and did make a proper, real, and full satisfaction to his father's justice in their behalf. I was just thinking about that idea of full satisfaction. If there's full satisfaction, everything's been paid. There's nothing more to do. Right. Am, I, am I right, guys? And if there's everything's been paid and it's, and it's in full, then that's, that's the beauty of, of the fact that I stand in Christ. When, and when I'm standing before the throne, I'm clothed in the righteousness of yeah. Christ. And there's not anything I've done to earn it. And it clearly, we see that in Galatians. Clearly, we see that in Romans, that um, you know, Abraham had no reason to boast. Right. He, he should, if anybody, but he had no reason to boast because it is all of what God has done. And the person that genuinely grasps that, that it is a debt that's paid in full, uh, isn't someone who uses that to go and as a license to sin. You know what I mean? Well, the debt's paid in full, and I've got all of Christ's righteousness, so it doesn't matter what I do, right? Because that's one of the things that my Roman Catholic friend was bringing up in the story I was telling a few minutes ago, he was saying, well, you believe you can pray a prayer and then go do whatever you want. And I was like, absolutely not. But you don't battle license by legalism. Right. That's the you wrong. Know, just, it's right. another ditch. It's like over swerving the car. Yeah. And you're going you're gonna, to, in one lane, no, I'm now <laughs> going all the way to the other lane. I'm going to accident's going to happen. Right. And that's why the confessions are careful to articulate that. And they, they're pulling from different places in scripture when they said, uh, yet it is not alone, talking about the justification by faith alone, yet it is not alone in the person justified, but it is ever accompanied with all other saving graces and is no dead faith, but worketh by love. And so the person who is genuinely justified is not someone who continues in their sin as, and uses that justification as a license. I think one of the amazing things when it comes to justification, uh, to kind of get down to more of the uh, the practical side of it, I suppose you might say, is when you consider as we stand before God's bar, as we, we stand in that kind of heavenly court, you might say, if we want to imagine ourselves before God in that way, um, just to even think of what we were talking about earlier, uh, the difference kind of between justification and forgiveness, um, it would be one thing if the judge were to say, you're guilty but you have been forgiven. Uh, you would still be guilty of it. But in declaring us just, God is declaring us to be righteous. Uh, in a sense, you could say God is declaring us through Christ to be innocent. And there's a huge difference between those two things. And so I, I 
I love looking into this just because it it expands out our understanding of the gospel and the work of Christ applied to us so much more than just merely kind of some of the basics that we oftentimes hear. And I think it's important for us to take these things to God's people and help the church to understand and to exult in these things and to to embrace these things uh, understanding them in their mind, embracing them in their heart, and that this is cause for worship. You know, Zach, when you were talking about being out there and hearing this man say, no, I don't have that assurance. Yeah. How great is it that we have that kind of an assurance and that we can find such peace and rest in that? This is really important stuff for God's people to know and to embrace and to be moved to worship and a greater adoration of Christ because of. Yeah, amen. Um, I had a I had a non-reformed brother one time come at me and say, uh, well, and he, he tied the issue of justification in with the elect. And the question was, well, what about someone who's a Muslim or a Mormon, but they're elect, they are going to come to faith. And he, he was kind of putting like a time, like, well, what if they died before they're, you know, and I'm like, well, that doesn't work that way. Um, but his question was about justification, essentially, is that if they're, if they're chosen from before the foundations of the world, then how does anything happen in real time? And when are they actually justified? If they're elect from before creation, how are they justified? And that's what I think uh, section four of chapter 11 in our confession state pretty clearly. And it's very careful the way it's worded. And it says, God did from all eternity decree to justify all the elect, and Christ did in the fullness of time die for their sins and rise again for their justification. Nevertheless, they are not justified personally until the Holy Spirit doth in due time actually apply Christ unto them. And so that's how we have to understand it. Yes, there's a decree of God, and we've talked about that on this podcast many times, Um we're reformed, so we believe in the elect, right? We believe that that's God's choice, his His specific people that he's died for. Um, but we know that we experience all these things in, in actual time, and justification right. doesn't, doesn't happen to a person until they have faith in Christ, which is what's given by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, very clearly we, we are told in Scripture we, we have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. Right. And that's yep. the encouragement we have. It's It's all around us. And there's no reason to fear for the elect. And how do you know you're elect? The brokenness of the heart. You know, the, the, the man after God's own heart is that brokenness, that yeah. contriteness, the, the realizing of our sin and our need of a Savior and our looking to that Savior as our only hope. That, that is a, uh, a realness of those who have been justified. Um, the moment we begin to th- pat ourselves on the back, it's very dangerous, a very slippery slope in the sense of, do we really understand this doctrine? And I think that's one of the things I love about the story of Luther. He understood his sin. Uh, I love the, the, the examples of he would wear out his father confessors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he'd go into that booth, man, he'd, they'd do a tag team next, you know, just to hear all of him <laughs> confessing his sin. And, and, you know, I remember the story uh, my professor once told that, that one, of the, one of the confessors said to him, don't come back to you really sin. We're, we're done <laughs> listening to all of these trite things you bring up. They weren't trite to him because his heart was broken and he knew sin. And I think that's one of the ways we know the assurance we have 
is real because it's not us. It's everything we've been talking about. An alien righteousness, a foreign righteousness, that's the only solution to our sin problem. Mm-hmm. Bringing it back to like a like a missional or a evangelistic perspective, um, I can remember one time uh, me and a couple of guys from my church, we were on a mission trip out on the west side of Michigan, and we were right on the lake there, and it was a super nice town. And we're out there, and this is totally out of my comfort zone. We were doing street evangelism. And the reason I was out there is because the two guys I was with are super gifted in that. And they're super bold. Um, they're careful with what they say. They just have strengths that I just don't have. Were you <laughs> using the four spiritual laws? I don't know. I don't know what that is. Ah, Am I going to stone? Oh, yeah, four yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we didn't have that. Um, but some of the girls that there was a couple girls that came up and they were talking to us and I think there was I don't know if they were they looked like sisters but they came up and they were talking to us and they were like s- nuns sisters no oh they just they looked the same they, had the <laughs> they looked related you were like yeah I think they're sisters <laughs> yeah uh. well they could have been but they came up and they were uh, SDA they were Seventh Day Adventist and we found that out about halfway through talking to them and one of the things there was one of them that I could tell uh, some of the stuff that we were saying really really connected with her and so I was trying to kind of focus my comments toward her because I could tell she was really kind of like pricked in her conscience with what we were saying. And uh, her big thing was feeling exhausted and like worn down, like trying to please God. And this is a huge practical doctrine for people like that. And I kept telling her like, you literally just have to rest in Christ. Like if you trust Christ for your obedience and trust him for the forgiveness of your sins, that's his, and that, and I didn't use active and passive obedience because she doesn't know those terms, but that's what I was getting at. You know, if you trust him, um, that, that he uh, can forgive you of your sins, that he paid that debt, and you rest in his obedience, like, you're going to find great comfort there, you know, if you just have faith in Christ. Um, and I don't know whatever came of it, you know, at, at the very least, we planted a seed. But th- this is one of those, the doctrine of justification isn't just some, like, theological thing to toss around. And, you know, we've been mentioning the Reformation in Rome, and it's fun to go back and forth and read Luther, like, cuss everybody out on the other side. But it really is a very practical um, and a very comforting, and like Chris said, it's we should rejoice in the fact that we have that assurance because it's sad when you meet people like this girl who had no assurance whatsoever that she would be justified, and she's trying her best to be obedient, and that's just missing the whole point. You know, when I was uh, uh, at school, there, th- the desire was righteous and holiness, and it was it was putting those things in front of us, but there's a sense in which it can become a restraint, almost a burden you feel like you have to carry to live uh, this out. And, and again, we are called to righteousness, but coming from a fundamentalist background that I came from, and, you know, at, way at Bible college, there was a guilt trip. They yeah. would often use, you need to rat out, you know, those people that are sinning or whatever, and, and you know they're sinning, you need to, you need to, but I thought the gospel was I'm supposed to go to them and call them to repentance, not just rat them out, you know? Right. And, and I, I was just talking to a guy recently and he said when he was in that fundamentalism in that, in that circle and in those schools, there was a heavy weight, a heavy burden, exactly what you're talking about. And it, and it was like but they, the gospel wasn't necessarily applied. It, it became almost a works righteousness, although it was never said. And that's what legalism can do. It, it takes it, it quelches the joy mm-hmm. because I have to do to earn God's favor. And that's not what this doctrine teaches at all. Yeah. And at this opposite side, you just can't do whatever you want right. because your desire is to please him. And and that's why I love the Heidelberg here, the guilt, the grace, and the gratitude. The gratitude is a natural response, but don't get that out of whack. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Our, our our good works and our faithfulness and any good deeds we do are out of gratitude 
it's not done to merit any type of favor with God because that's already been perfectly achieved and wrath has already been satisfied on behalf of Christ. Now, anything that we are called to do is always uh, prefaced in Scripture by what Christ has done. And it turns that from an attempt to earn and establish our own righteousness to a response of worship. I mean, I can't imagine being in that place where I was trying to earn my own righteousness before God. I mean, to, to try and do that, you have either got to be in a position of ignorance of the righteousness of God and the justice of God and think that your attempts to earn God's favor are, are actually somehow, you know, hitting the bullseye. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you've got to just be either ignorant of his righteousness and justice or so arrogant that you actually think that you can do it, that you can pull it off and that your deeds are somehow, uh, satisfying the justice and righteousness of God. Um, it's, isn't the problem, though, there, Chris, that people, they don't make God their standard. They're using other people as their oh, standard. Oh, absolutely. Right. And therefore, it becomes attainable. But in a way, what I'm yeah, saying is when, you, when, you, when God's holiness and righteousness is your standard, you can't measure up. Nope. So you're no. left going, I need another. Well, the whole and that's law... part of the... Go ahead, I think part of the problem is, is if you want to envision it as though uh, we're a bunch of boats out in the water... And God is the shore. <laughs> we're busy measuring and comparing, you know, where we're at as opposed to the other boats, rather than comparing to ourselves as how far are we from the shore. Right. And in terms of righteousness, none of us are getting there. You know, some of us might be uh, slightly uh, closer than others, but the fact is we are all way out in the ocean of our sin. And uh, that is why justification by faith alone is such a huge issue, such a huge comfort, like you were saying there, Zach, that uh, that we actually can have that rest. And to go to evangelize others, we have to recognize, you know, because sometimes I think we forget this, having been in Christ for some time, I know myself, that we forget the burden that others feel of that weight of sin and unrighteousness and knowing that they don't measure up, that they can't measure up, especially if they've come to a place like you were mentioning about Luther there, Aaron, that if they see that and understand, how could they do anything but say, woe is me. Right. I, I can't do this. I need a savior. I need someone who can give me the righteousness that I need. And, uh, Praise God that that's what he has done in the gospel and what he has given us in Christ. When we hear people say things like, well, I'm not that bad, you know, like I I haven't killed anybody, I haven't committed adultery, it's like, okay, well, when you think about the law of God summed up into the two greatest commandments, like love God with your entire life, all your heart, all of that, and love your neighbor as yourself. Have you done those things? Well, the answer is clearly no. The only person who has done that, or have you even loved God with your entire heart, soul, mind, and strength for even five minutes? None of us have. But, but, but I was going to say, I don't think I've kept the Ten Commandments for the 
duration of this podcast right. so far. <laughs> right. <laughs> who are you sinning against? I want to know. I don't even know. It's sins of sins of omission. Yeah. I'm sure. But, it, uh... but it's such. It's so true because Jesus kept having to poke his finger into into the Pharisaical understanding. Yeah. Of well, I'm keeping the law. I mean, the rich young ruler, right? All these I've kept. Yeah. Except one. <laughs> right. You know, and as you begin to realize, well, you're not accept, you're not keeping that one. You're not keeping any of them. Yeah. And and it's I, I, we have to come back to understanding that the law isn't just a checklist and it's not attainable. And that's why we needed Christ and do need Him every day, because it's not just that He passively took care of it in the past. Mm-hmm. It's that he act, his act of obedience is what's applied to us now. And without that, like you said, Chris, woe is me. Mm-hmm. Woe is me. Anything else, gentlemen? Uh, great stuff, you guys. I think something uh, definitely uh, good to get into here. I would just want to encourage people, you know, so sometimes we fall into the trap of... Uh, like just preaching like moralism at people every once in a while, even, even us reform guys once in a while, like we get off track, but just focus on uh, faith in Christ. When you're evangelizing people, urge them to rest in Christ, to turn to Christ, have faith in Christ rather than give them a list of things, you know, and hopefully we don't do that too much, but it's, it's, it's our natural inclination to go that route. So we always have to be fighting against that. And Christ, it sounds like the, the cheesy Sunday school answer, but Christ really is the answer for this whole thing. Great discussion, and uh, hope uh, everybody has another great week, and we'll catch you catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com, and be sure to like our Facebook